Defund DOC is a movement and belief. Our mission is to stop oppression, exploitation, and bring about relief. Raise awareness, open eyes to the corruption in our midst. It's a higher way of thinking, but I'm sure you'll get the gist. Corrupt politicians and slimy administrators want to label us rebels and radical demonstrators. We are the ones who aren't scared, the voices that were never there, the ones willing to fight when no one else cared, the ones who stood up and finally said this isn't right, the only ones pushing back against the bureaucratic might. Support us if you can and listen for a few because ultimately Defund DOC is for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of DefundDOC.net. I'm your host, Linda, and joining me is my co-host, Daniel J. Sims. Today, we're diving into a rather intense topic, asking the question, does Federal Bureau of Prisons and the State Department of Corrections intentionally incite violence? Daniel, let's start by unpacking this question. Absolutely, Linda. Hello, everybody. It's Daniel, your stigma-popping 20-year inmate. I'm also a big fan of Sour Patch Kids and Nintendo, old-school Nintendo with the Zelda. Okay, so this is a significant and sadly a very real issue that is being dealt with inside prison. The scarcity of resources in prison environments is a major factor that incites violence. It leads to murders, assaults, and strong-arming within prison populations. This scarcity incentivizes the formation of prison gangs and fosters their proliferation. You're saying that the scarcity of resources in prisons is a deliberate strategy? Yes, Linda. In fact, it could be cured overnight. The fact is, the scarcity is an artificially manufactured phenomenon. This is not just about physical resources, but also about the lack of rehabilitative services and educational programs. The absence of these resources contributes to a cycle of violence and recidivism. Now let's talk about the consequence of the scarcity on prison and the wider society? That's a really good question, Linda. See, this is the thing. I can give you anecdotes and, like, give you all kinds of little samples or whatnot, but let me just give you my life experience. I've got millions of stories, prison life, as you can imagine, being incarcerated for over 20 years. So... There was a gentleman named Marcus, and he was in part of the closed custody population side of uh, prison. And on the regular side of prison, everybody was allowed to have basically unlimited amounts of coffee. You could buy coffee off of monthly packages. You could buy coffee off of store. There really was no limit, right? But then you go to this other custody level. They created this rule that you could only have two bags of coffee. So you could go on from a guy that drank two bags of coffee every day, like maybe like every few days he'd go through a bag. So you're saying you're going through at least two bags every six days and putting them in a population where he has to have two bags as opposed to unlimited. Then you surround him with inmates that are going through the exact same scarcity. Now, Marcus ran out of coffee, as you can imagine, relatively quickly upon ending up on the main line and asked his friends for coffee. His friends gave him a little package of coffee, put it in a book bindle, get it in the bookshelf, and waited for him to come out and grab it when he could get it. Well, in between the time that the coffee was stashed in the books and the time that he came out to get the coffee, another inmate swipes it, steals his coffee. So he ends up coming out trying to find his coffee, the scarce resource that, you know, he's getting headache. He's, he's become dependent. I mean, everybody that's probably listening to this has had a cup of coffee. Now imagine this. He goes out there to get his coffee. It's gone. Somebody stole it. What does he do? The immediate reaction is, what the hell? Somebody steal my coffee? And so he's confronting the issue on the tier. Now, this is a unit with all the cells are against the wall, so everybody in their cells can hear what he's saying. And everybody that could have potentially stole the coffee is within hearing distance of his outburst. So he's saying 
saying, whoever stole my coffee is a bitch. Excuse my language. I don't usually cuss. I try not to use profanity, but I'm pervading in this, this uh, interaction. Whoever stole it is expletive. He's calling us out telling everybody that whoever stole it is basically uh, no good, and if he wants to confront the issue, then come see him. In essence, you're weak, you're a coward, and if you don't come confront me, then everybody around that person that stole it is going to be turning on him, because now he's been called, you know, the worst words that you can be called in prison, so it incited this violence. So now this guy that stole the coffee has to come out and confront the issue. So it's, of course, next mainline time comes, dinner comes, the guy that stole the coffee immediately steals on Marcus. Marcus, already prepared for what was going to happen, had a soap in his sock and immediately started attacking the guy with the soap in the sock. This is just one example of occasion where artificial scarcity, unlimited amounts of coffee on mainline, but they take away the coffee into different levels of custody for no real good reason, has created this fight and this assault and now exfoliate this across, you know, millions of Americans across the whole country. And you understand the level of violence that is happening across the country in all these prisons. This is just one example of coffee. The other examples across the country could be a dip bar, a pull-up bar, a picnic table, you know what I mean? Like, you know, anything, uh, top ramen. These artificially scarce resources are conflated by the administration on purpose. They know that everybody is dependent upon drinking a cup of coffee, so let's cut them short, keep them, keep them with a small ration so that they're going to fall short. And what do you do when you fall short? You ask somebody for help, and that makes you dependent upon the community that you're incarcerated with, and then it also breeds the fact of envy and stealing and then, you know, strong-arming and all the other stuff that goes with it. So that's the issue that a lot of people have to deal with in prison. The consequences are indeed far-reaching. We can't ignore the fact that once a prisoners are released, they are often returned to their communities traumatized and unprepared for reintegration because of these things. This leads to a vicious cycle of recidivism, causing more harm to the society than if they would create a over-socialization like Norway, Germany, and other countries have in their prison systems. It's absurd that we're cu currently having a system where they're saying they're incarcerating you because you're antisocial, when in fact these prison systems make you antisocial. When you're incarcerating somebody uh, for years in solitary confinement, making social connections scarce, you are making them antisocial, and that's a prison administration rulemaking, decision-making process. That's corruption. You know what it's going to do to our people. You know what it's going to do to the American people. So. When every time somebody gets out of prison, commits a new crime, or creates a new victim, you need to put the blame where that blame belongs. It doesn't belong on American people that are incarcerated, the uneducated, probably don't even have a high school diploma or a GED. Why don't you go blame that on the people graduating from Harvard or Berkeley or New York State University, the ones that are running these prisons? These are the high, higher educated people that have all these high degrees that know that this antisocial behavior is coming from their policies that are corrupt and cruel. So this is a vicious cycle of recidivism that is causing more harm to society than it's worth. 
I understand that there are court cases that highlight the liability for this artificial scarcity. Yes, there's tons of them. So I'll just quote one case, it's Buffkin versus Hooks, where the court found that limited availability of medical resources in prison has a bearing on deliberate indifference claims. Basically, it clearly illustrated the scarcity in prison is a conscious decision by the administration that impacts prisoners' welfare. You know, when there's scarcity in cells, when there's scarcity in guards, if there's a, if there's one guard for 200 inmates, you know that there's going to be people getting shanked, there's going to be people getting beat up, assaulted. You know, the prison politics are going to be proliferate. This is ridiculous. This system is created to create animals, and that's what they're trying to do. They create these animals, then the people that get released, they recidivate within a small amount of time, and then the politicians are like, look, look, look at the person that recidivate. Don't look over here at the person that created it. Look at the person that create that actually did it. That's shallow thinking. They think the American people are stupid, and you guys are not. This is not a 19th century. People can look up data and facts, and the data does not match. 82% of Americans are coming back to prison, and it's not because they're inherently bad people or criminal people. I'm talking about nonviolent drug dealers coming to prison, getting into violence in prison, and then getting released and becoming, you know, a recidivist. So what can be done about this? That is another excellent question, Linda. So that's the thing. This is not a really rocket science question. This is common sense. Anybody out there can tell you exactly what needs to be done. Let's first end all vestiges of slavery. How about that? Let's stop enslaving our people. Let's start actually increasing our people's dignity and respect. When you treat people like slaves, they act like slaves. And the same is the consensus of what is happening today. Next, it's common sense. Let's turn prisons into treatment and career centers. Let's treat people that have drug addiction. How about that? Let's give people university degrees so that they can get out and be a productive member of society. I mean, I've never seen a person with a bachelor's degree in computer science get out on the corner and start selling drugs and gangbang. It just doesn't happen. And the politicians, they just constantly want to fearmonger and demonize the American people and vilify our sons and daughters to justify keeping our people enslaved. And we need to stand up and just be done with it. And we need to enact meaningful sentencing reform. How can you justify in an upstanding moral society the fact that you are killing our American people with long prison sentences, even though they have not killed anybody to deserve it. They're giving people death sentences, long prison sentences, for these cruel and corrupt three-strike law and all these laws that enhance sentences. These are straight from the abyss. I mean, this is evil stuff. How can you justify in your mind killing somebody with a long prison sentence when they haven't killed nobody? That's unethical. It's like immoral. These people are going to be judged in the afterlife, no matter what what you believe in, whether you're a Muslim, whether you're a Jew, or whether you're a Christian or a Hindu, whatever. Whoever can justify killing people that haven't killed nobody, that is corrupt, mindful thinking. So yes, and we need to enact meaningful sentencing reform. That has to happen. All this stuff goes hand in hand. So yeah, Linda, I think that there's many things that need to be done, but those are the three things that we need to do. Prisoners have to have the resources they need to reintegrate back into society. So any prison slavery does that, treatment does that, career does that, and then letting them go when they've done those things is sufficient for paying the debt to society. And don't get it wrong. I'm not saying that prisoners should be getting all this money from their labor, even 
though that should be an absolute right that's been endowed upon the American people by their creator, but I believe that the victim should be compensated for their harm. A person comes to prison for an assault or whatnot, the victim should be compensated from the wages that the person makes in prison, and then the rest of the money goes towards that prisoner when he gets reiterating back into society. So why does a prosecutor constantly use the cop out, this is a slap in the face to the victim? How about it's a slap in the face to the victim that these people that commit these crimes go to prison and the victim doesn't get nothing out of it except for the fact that the person goes to prison. How about if the victim got compensated? What about that? How about all that labor the state has been stealing from our people? Give that to the victim. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but those are the three main things that we need to like implement in this country. And I believe that with people that are listening to this and spreading it, man, we really need people to spread this. But those are the three things, Linda. We need to ensure that prisoners have the resources they need to reintegrate into society successfully. That sounds like a mammoth task. How can our listeners help? Well, there are numerous ways our listeners can help. Firstly, by listening about the realities of our prison system and sharing this knowledge, awareness is the first step towards change. Secondly, they can support causes that aim to reform the prison system. Lastly, they can vote for politicians who are committed to prison reform. Absolutely. And speaking of support, we want to remind our listeners about our free subscription. New subscribers will receive a free digital copy of one of Daniel's books, Defund DOC, Turning All Prisons into Treatment and Career Centers, or The Art of Living, Everything You Need to Achieve Success in Life and Business I Learned in Prison. It's an incredible offer, so don't miss out. Additionally, we're preparing to film an exciting pilot for a reality show, Love and Prison Activism. If you're interested in participating, please subscribe to receive frequent updates. And let's not forget about our special supporter bundle and our Defund DOC brand items available online. Every penny of profit goes toward furthering this overdue social justice mission. Indeed, Linda. And I would be remiss if I didn't address the controversy that the article that I put out last week caused in regards to Nikki Haley being called a liar or willfully blind. This is the thing. When Nikki Haley said that the Civil War ended slavery, she is essentially lying to the American people or she is willfully blind, period. There's no other way around it. She can't have it both ways. This country is currently the biggest slaveholder in all of human history. There's 2.3 million slaves on prison plantations as we speak. You might be so prejudiced in your mind and so stigma filled that you think prisoners deserve to be enslaved or you might actually know that we're just human beings that made bad decisions and we're entitled to our property which is our labor either way this is an atrocity it's a violation of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that's been ratified by the United Nations. Basically, it's a violation of uh, our absolute rights that have been endowed by our Creator. And with the 13th Amendment that was enacted and ratified right after the Civil War, or actually I think it was during the Civil War, which has effectively created a new slave class for all felons, it essentially enslaved all the American people. When we were ending slavery for African Americans, they did a sleight of hand, like a 
a bait and switch to the American people. They swindled us. So now they're enslaving our sons and daughters as opposed to just enslaving one people, which was an atrocity by itself. Now they want to slave all the American people. How dare anybody make a bad decision? Now, if you make a bad decision, you will be enslaved. And so the 13th Amendment did that. And Haley, uh, Nikki Haley, which is a potential presidential candidate, knew that was the case. Yet she tried to uh, assert that slavery has ended uh, and it has not ended. And therefore, I had to call it out. The article went viral. And I th- I'm thankful for everybody that shared the article. We need more people to subscribe to the podcast. We need more people to be a part of the struggle. And so remember, supporting this cause is an insurance policy for a future where prison slavery is a part of the ugly past. And all prisons are turned into treatment and career centers. Well said, Daniel. Thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode. We hope you found this discussion enlightening. We'll be back next time with another pressing topic. Until then, remember, change starts with you. This has been a DefundDLC.net production. Stay informed, stay engaged. I'm Daniel J. Sims. Hello, world. My name is Eric Knappick, DOC number 395314, and I am a prisoner. I've experienced firsthand how incredibly horrible it is in prison. There is no meaningful education or treatment. They torture us with solitary confinement. Prison for nonviolent, non-emergent, and petty pretexts. What we in the state system call diesel treatment. It is very mentally traumatizing. Our families and friends' funds are extracted by phone, media, and personal property monopolistic companies that prey on us as captive consumers. Of course, the most tragic atrocity is how they are stealing our labor through slavery due to the morally corrupt 13th Amendment enacted to create a new slave class after abolishing private slave ownership. Now, every state exploits prisoners' labor through slavery. It is sickening. All this is why we need you to become a certified prison reform activist. You don't have to be an ex-prisoner, felon, or have any experience in the criminal justice system. All that matters is you love the American people. In the special offer section, you can receive a free digital copy of Defund DOC, turn all prisons into treatment and career centers, a free certificate as a prison reform activist, free online support, free network opportunities, free activism event opportunities, and free eligibility for prizes, trophies, and a grand prize of $1 million within Global Accreditation, MGLLC, Rules and Regulations. We desperately need an army of certified prison reform activists to end this evil and corrupt system. You will be the new underground railroad. This is the civil and human rights fight of this generation. Join today. Thank you. Hey, everybody. My name is Adrian, and I am very excited to recommend Daniel J. Sims' three amazing books. In his book, Hopeless in Seattle, A Foster Kids Manifesto, he reveals some heartbreaking stuff. For instance, he tells us how he was abandoned by his parents, abused in foster care, turned to running away and living on the street, sleeping in the newspapers, bins, and even stolen cars and ultimately he was institutionalized, sharing deeply painful events like when he was stabbed. It is a compelling read. In his book, The Art of Living, Everything You Need to Achieve, Success of Life and Business, I Learned in Prison, breaks down fundamental maxims he's distilled from over 20 years in prison. 
It is a profound book. And of course, his book, Defund DOC, Turning All Prisons into Treatment and Career Centers, is a remarkably concise and comprehensive book detailing the failure of mass incarceration and providing the solutions to massively reform it and reduce recidivism significantly. Every prison reform-minded person needs this book. Each book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or other booksellers, but special to defunddoc.net. You can get all three digital books for this price of one. Check out the special offer today. You will be happy you did. He's a really good person and amazing author. Plus, you will be helping the social justice mission. Get them now. Thank you.